We're in a series on emotional health now, and this message is called, I'm so sad. I'm talking to the person that says, I'm so sad. I remember back uh, earlier this year in December, um, my mom and dad got COVID. My mom got better, but my dad didn't. He was struggling to recover, ended up going into the hospital, had to get put on oxygen, and uh, it didn't seem to help. He had to end up getting put on a ventilator. Then he had a collapsed lung. Then he got an infection. And I remember eventually it culminated at this point where I was there with my mom and my siblings and my dad died and we lost him even though people were praying for him and we were just kind of surprised to even be in that situation. And since then, this last six months now, have had to process some feelings of sadness. There is a loss that comes with something like that that you're really never quite ready for. And I feel like the Lord just wanted me to share that to hopefully encourage someone else who might be dealing with some pain. There are people in our church dealing with pain for other reasons. Some people have also lost parents. Others have lost a spouse. Some people have lost children. Other people have had to watch dreams die. There's all kinds of loss and pain that we experience. And so sadness becomes a part of our lives. Sadness is personal because pain is personal. And therefore, it ends up being isolating oftentimes because you feel like no one really understands what I'm going through. And the thing is that, truthfully, most people probably don't understand quite what you're going through. And that's why you have to understand this, that even though it might feel like you're alone in your sadness, you're not alone. It says this in Psalm 34, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. So God is close to all of us all the time as his children. You know that. He's close to his children. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. But for some reason, the Lord thought it was important to remind you as his child that he's especially close to you when you're brokenhearted. My little daughter's sick right now. She had some kind of cold going on. We took her to urgent care last night. She had an ear infection and she got medicine. And you know, as her dad uh, I have been especially kind of tuned into her the last 24 to 48 hours. I knew she wasn't feeling good. And so every little cry kind of got my attention. As she would make some noise there in her, in her nursery room, you know, we'd kind of just be checking on her. And, and if she was feeling kind of out of it or needing some extra love, man, me and Amy were there right to give it to her because she's our daughter and we love her. And then how much more do you think God, your Father in heaven, is going to be tuned into you and close to you when you're sad, brokenhearted, and your spirits are crushed? He cares about you, so he's close. We're going to talk about how to deal with sadness out of Psalm 22, but in order to deal with sadness, you've got to be able to share your sadness. And that's not as easy as it sounds, is it? I started thinking, why is it hard to share your sadness? Well, there's some reasons. I think one of them is that you're not always sure who to share it with. It's a little bit awkward figuring out who to share it with sometimes. Our culture celebrates authenticity. And so does that mean you have to tell everyone that asks you how you're doing to be authentic? I went through the Starbucks drive the other day, and the girl was like, how's your day going? And I was like, well, not good, but I don't really want to tell you that. You know, I was like, give me my coffee. And then some people, they don't know who to tell personally, so they end up just broadcasting to the whole world on social media 
all of their hurts and their disappointments and their sorrow. And so their friends are there like, uh, is he okay? Or should we check on him? I want you to understand this. Not every stranger needs to know your struggles. You don't have to tell everybody what you're going through. You need to find some trustworthy people who know you and love you to let into your life. But you don't got to sit down at Applebee's and lean over to the person next to you. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm depressed right now. Okay, have a good night. Just want to be authentic. No, that's a little bit awkward. A little bit awkward and people might wonder if you're stable or if you need help. There are some people you can be really open and honest with, like a pastor. You can just come to a pastor and be like, hey, I'm really struggling. And like, we're ready for that. We are, we are mentally geared up for that. You'd be surprised some of the things people have walked up to me and said, I'm ready all the time. You can't surprise me anymore. <laughs> then there are counselors. I think counseling is great. I go to counseling sometimes. I sat down with this counselor the other day. And uh, he started like, well, hey, uh, tell me about yourself, Ryan. Where are you from? Your siblings. And his name is John. I was like, Dr. John, I didn't really come here for small talk. I'm paying you for some help. Let's just get down to it. Give me some tips. I'm, I'm pretty direct if you haven't figured that out. I didn't actually say that, but I was thinking it. Sometimes you don't share your feelings because you feel guilty about being sad. I think that when we, are, when we are Christians and we know that, you know, we have joy, uh, it's kind of hard to reconcile that with sadness. As a little kid, you sing about having, you know, the joy, 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 joy down in your heart, but there's really no songs about having sadness down in your heart. So when you grow up and you face life and you feel sad, you're always, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure how to reconcile that as a Christian. Am I allowed to be sad? The answer is Yes. You are allowed to be sad. In the Bible, God's people, the heroes of the faith, go through sad times. Jesus was sad. In fact, at one point, he lost his best friend, one of his friends that he was really close to. Uh, Lazarus died, and in John 11, it says, Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. His sorrow was so visible that the people around him were touched he, think about this. He wept over the death of a friend, even knowing he was going to heal that friend and raise him back to life. So why? Because he was fully God and fully man. And sadness is a healthy emotional response to grief, to loss, to tragedy. It's okay to be sad. Sometimes I think we feel guilty because it's been a long time now. Since that thing happened, since you lost that person, or since that dream died. And there's a certain sense, I think, like, I should get over this by now. I should be over it by now. And maybe you've even had someone say to you, well, shouldn't you be past that? I think you need to understand that sadness doesn't come with a shot clock. There's no limit to how long you're allowed to be sad. If you're grieving something, there's no point at which you need to just get over it. Really, I think that sorrow is like waves of the ocean. They come large at first, then they get smaller and further apart. But you never know when a big one might come out of you know, nowhere, surprise you, and hit you upside the head. It's okay 
if you find yourself sad, you don't have to feel guilty about it, even if it's decades after the loss. And then another reason I think we struggle to share our sadness is because we don't want to be a burden to the people around us. This is one that I wrestle with, okay? So as a husband, I don't want to trouble my wife. I don't want her to worry about me. I want to help her with her problems. I don't know. I don't really want to just walk into a room if everyone's having a good time and, and be a Debbie Downer with my sad story. I want to help other people with their issues. I don't want to add to their burdens. This is a, a false thought that, that kind of oftentimes I think gets stuck in us and prevents us from being open. We think, man, I don't want to burden people. And when I was talking to Dr. John, the counselor, I told him that that's something I struggle with. And he said, Ryan, your friends and your family can't carry the burden for you, but they do want to care for you. And I thought, you know, that's, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And I'm totally going to steal that and use it in a sermon. It was a double win. You got friends, you got family, you got people that love you at church, and they want to care for you. And I know that some of you think, well, I don't really want to trouble other people with my stuff. But listen, you are worthy of being cared for. You know, I have a friend, and I told him, you know, it's hard for me to share what I'm going through, that I'm, I'm sad. I don't really want to be a burden. And he was like, no, actually, it's not a burden. It's a privilege to know what's going on in your life on a personal level. It lets the relationship go to a deeper level. It helps me know that if I go through something that's difficult, I can also be open and vulnerable with you. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. It's a, Romans 12, 15, it says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So if you're sad, give your spouse, your church family, your life group, your pastors, your friends, give them the opportunity to care for you. It's not a burden to them, it's a blessing to them because that's what the body of Christ does. We love one another by caring for each other. We weep with those who weep. We rejoice with those who rejoice. And look, we might rejoice with one person, and be simultaneously weeping with another person. So if you're the one who is weeping, if you're going through hardship, right, don't think that, that people don't care and they don't love you if they're rejoicing with someone else. This, we're doing both simultaneously. And then I, I thought about this. Why don't we always want to share our sadness? And this is the thing that really hit me. And I was like, oh, I've never thought of that before. But I think sometimes pride keeps us from sharing our sadness. I thought about how when you're excited about something, it is not hard to share it. Why is that? I just got the house, got the promotion, our kids graduated, my team won. I'm so excited. Why is it so much easier to share those emotions? Well, I think it's because when you're excited about something, usually that something reflects positively on you. But it is hard to share what saddens you, because oftentimes the stuff that saddens you is also humbling to you. For example, it's humbling to admit you're sad because you wanted a job and didn't get it. It's hard to admit that, man, you really like someone, but they didn't like you back, and so it didn't work out. Or you wanted to be friends with someone, and they didn't really reciprocate it, and they just kind of ghosted you. Hard to admit you're sad that you didn't get into the school that you really wanted to get into. 
hard to admit you're sad that, you know, as a mom, you have a, a miscarriage or infertility. I know so many moms who go through that stuff. Sometimes they have these guilty feelings like, well, does that mean there's something wrong with me? And, and I think about how I prayed for my dad to get healed. I prayed for him to get healed, and he wasn't. It's easy to brag when God does what you asked him to. It's hard to admit you're sad because you asked God for something, and he said no. It's very humbling, kind of hard to admit, kind of hard to admit you lost someone and it bothers you and it makes you feel disappointed, that you're sad, that you're, that you're in this place. It's, it's very humbling. And so I think that we have to get the right perspective on loss, on tragedy, on heartbreak, and on failure. Sometimes we go a little too far trying to take responsibility for our own lives. Now, that's probably not society's biggest problem. But some people sometimes, I think they go a little too far. And they think, I'm responsible for everything that happens in my life. The danger of that is when life goes really well and you're successful, it'll be very tempting for you to become prideful. Because you'll think, look what I did. Pretty awesome if I do say so myself. I did this. I accomplished this. And you can be puffed up with pride. On the other hand, when life doesn't work out, when things don't go well, when you're rejected, when you're disappointed, when you lose, it's easy to feel ashamed. I must have done something wrong. I must have blown it. I must have come up short. I must not be enough. And, and so you've got to get the right perspective. How do you avoid that? By remembering you're not God. Amen. That is like, if you only came to church tonight to be reminded you're not God, this would be a great service. Because just once in a while, it is helpful to have someone remind you, oh yeah, I'm not God. None of the songs we sang were about me. Great are you, Ryan. We didn't sing that song. Oh yeah. It's really helpful to remember, you're not God. So that means I don't get the credit for every good thing in my life, and I also don't get the blame for every bad thing in my life. There are some things that happen that are outside of your control. Here's why this is important, because there are some Christians, some of you grew up believing this because you were taught that if you're sick, it's because you have some hidden sin in your life. And some of you grew up believing this because you were taught that if you pray for someone to be healed and it doesn't happen, it's because you didn't have enough faith. That's garbage theology. That is garbage thinking. That is a works-based theology. That I have got to earn God's love and approval and affirmation and blessing. And we as children of God do not have to earn God's favor. We don't earn favor. We have received favor. It's why it's called grace and not a paycheck. Because you didn't earn it. So we work from a place of favor. And we receive freely what God gives us. But sometimes we ask God and he says no. Sometimes we try hard and come up short. And what's good is that God keeps loving us faithfully every step of the way. The question is, will you...
Be harder on yourself when you fail than God is on you. The Bible is filled with stories of godly people who suffer hardship, starting with Jesus. Then there's a whole book called Job about a godly, righteous man who was allowed to suffer. So becoming a Christian doesn't mean you won't face hardship. Becoming a Christian does not mean you get to skip disappointment. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If I was one of the disciples, I would have been there like, uh, Jesus, we need to get a better marketing campaign. <laughs> Telling people they'll have trouble? No, that's not going to pull well, Jesus. But it's true, isn't it? Life is hard. And it's good to notice that he did not say, take heart, I'm going to fix your world. He said, I've overcome the world. God never promised a pain-free life. But he does offer us a peace-filled life in the midst of pain. He didn't say he would remove trials and tribulations every time you ask. But he did say he will always be with you in the midst of the fire, even when you forget to ask. Some of you might be in the pit of despair and you have no idea how to get out. In fact, maybe you've been sad for so long, you just think that's the new normal now. And that's what can lead to depression, feeling stuck in sadness. And there could even be people who have suicidal thoughts. Whatever it is that's causing your sadness or making it a struggle to share your sadness, there's hope for you. There is hope for you. In Psalm 30, it says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And you might be like, it's been night for a long time. When's this night going to end? It will end. It will end. And it'll end a lot quicker if you'll do what the Bible says to do. If you'll follow this pattern that we see in Psalm 22, you can escape Sadness, and you don't have to live in a place of constant night. You got to do this. First, you got to look up. If you're sad, you got to bring that sadness to God and tell him you're sad. Think about that. Tell God how you're doing. What a novel concept. But you'd be surprised, right? Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget and we go to Google instead of God. You got to tell God, how you're doing. Psalm 22, verse 1, right off the bat, he says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Okay, so I love this. The first line of the chapter is David addressing his God. He's obviously not doing super well, but he addresses, he immediately looks up addresses his God, and brings his feelings to God. And his feelings are kind of a hot mess. He says, why have you abandoned me? Why are you ignoring me? I feel like you don't even care about me. Now, is that true? Did God abandon him? No, five people, no, that's not true. The rest are like, I don't know, did he? <laughs> no, right? God didn't abandon him. But he felt like he did. And he brought those, David was able to bring those feelings to God and say, I feel like you abandoned me. Even though those feelings are based on falsehoods. 
We live in a world today that thinks your feelings should be valid just because you felt them. And if anyone questions your feelings, they're gaslighting you. But we know from the word of God that sometimes your feelings aren't valid because they're based on falsehoods. Last, last year got kind of annoying with all the fact checkers on social media. This has been fact checked. Which, you know, there's a, there's a good place for fact checking. But it's funny how now like, some of the things that got fact checked last year actually turned out to be true. <laughs> That's how, I mean, people are fallible. God is perfect. God is all-knowing. He gets it right every time. So David goes to God with his feelings. I feel like you've abandoned me. Give God the opportunity to correct the falsehoods that you've believed. What do you think God's going to say? He's going to say, no, that's not right. I'm glad you brought this to me because I wanted to set the record straight. I have not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. I'm right here. I never went anywhere this whole time. That's what he wants to do. So you got to bring these feelings to God. You can't escape sadness if you suppress it. you got to go, Lord, I, I am sad. And I, I, I'm even really struggling. I feel like you don't even care. Don't feel your presence. Those are false thoughts we've all had, and these are lies that come from the devil. So you got to get the record set straight. God says, I do love you. I am here. I care about this. I'm glad you brought it to me. And then as you look up, it allows you to remember who God is. This is what happens for David. He looks up. He brings all this sadness to God. And in the process of looking up, he's like, oh, yeah, you're God. It says in verse 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. David said, I feel like you abandoned me. And, and here he's looking up and he's like, oh, yeah, but you're holy. And it starts to connect for him. And he goes, if you're holy, that must, that must mean you're also honest. Holy God keeps his promises. And you promised you wouldn't leave me or forsake me. It's so easy to become fixated on, on the thing that's making us sad, isn't it? We can become obsessed with the thing that broke our hearts and crushed our spirits. And that's what leads to depression. And, and so I, I want you to think about this. If you fixate on what it is that made you sad and you only occasionally glance at Jesus, you're going to be depressed. You've got to flip that. You've got to fixate on Jesus and if you glance occasionally at the thing that made you sad, that's okay. That's how you find joy and break out of the cycle of depression. you got to fix your thoughts on the right place. So that's good news. If you're brokenhearted in the pit of despair, you don't even have to climb out because God will lift you out. Yeah. It says in Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud. It says he set my feet on solid ground. He's given me a new song to sing. Right? So this is what God does. He's like, man, I'm going to lift you out of this place. Just look up to me. Put your focus on me. Reach a hand up to me, and I'll come and I'll pull you out when you can't get out of that sad place. So you got to look up, and then you got to do this. you got to look back. Look back. Sometimes I find myself uh, thinking back to my dad's hospital room when he died and reliving really painful moments. And I think it's common to relive traumatic moments and painful moments. It's, it's really not it's not fun. It definitely doesn't help us feel joy. Why do our brains so easily go there to reliving traumatic, painful moments? The person walking out the door, the person breaking your heart, the person who let you down. Like You can just replay those moments over and over again in your mind. It's just, it's just a natural thing to do. 
So if it's so natural to do that, then I think you have to consciously choose by the power of the Holy Spirit to relive good moments as well. You've got to relive the good. You've got to look back on the right things. We sing a song that says, I've seen you move. You moved the mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way, past tense, where there was no way. And I believe I'll see you do it again, right? That is looking back to remind yourself what God has done. In Psalm 22, verse 4, David says this, Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. Look, he's reminding himself of God's track record. Some of you have too short of a memory. Your DVR's only got this much room on it. All you remember is what happened in the last 30 minutes. You act like God didn't do anything before last year. No wonder you get so easily depressed. You gotta look back further than that. That's what David did. My, oh, my ancestor, yeah. You were good to my grandpappy. <laughs> when my great-grandpappy was having a hard time, you rescued him. And as I think back on it, it's not even the first time I've been sad. <laughs> I, think, I think I can trust you to get me out of this situation. He looks back. And that's what we got to do as well. And then I, I think it's really helpful in this chapter that it's so realistic. Here he looks back, but then what happens? Another wave of grief comes. In verse 6, I am a worm and not a man. I mean, that's a pretty low person right there. That's a pretty low person, right? You know, like you've probably been hard on yourself before. Like, I'm a worm. I'm not even a human man. I'm a worm. I'm cursed. And everyone agrees. That's what, they, that's what he's basically saying right here. Everyone agrees. Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Let the Lord save him if the Lord loves him so much. Then let the Lord rescue him. Look at that. Everyone's mocking me. I mean, this guy is low. And David agrees with the people who are mocking him. I'm a worm. <laughs> See, I, I think this is kind of crazy. At first, he directs his frustration at God. And he says, why did you abandon me? Then he turns his hatred on himself, and he starts to talk bad about himself. I'm, I'm worthless. I'm garbage. I think this is something that people still do today, don't you? I think people sometimes, they turn their crosshairs on themselves, and they're going through sadness and depression, and they start to believe, this is my fault. I deserve this. I deserve to be sad. I don't deserve any good things. And I struggle with some thoughts like this myself. After my dad passed, I kind of had some feelings like, man, this is probably my fault. I probably made bad decisions. If I would have prayed for him maybe harder or longer, even though I know that's not theologically correct, it's crazy the stuff you might entertain sometimes. But I do remember the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And that includes condemnation that comes from yourself you got to remember what God says about you. In this chapter, you see this example with David where he's doing good and he gets, he gets kind of you know, a little boost of confidence and then another wave of sadness comes. And that's what we've got to do. We've got to keep looking back. We've got to look up. We've got to look back. He does it again. He says in verse 9, Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. You've been my God from the moment I was born. So he looks back all the way. He looks back to his mother's uterus. 
you were my God when I was in my mother's womb. Before I even knew you, you were there. Before I even knew you were there caring about me, you were caring about me. He goes all the way back and he remembers the facts. God, you're the one who brought me into this world. That's a good reminder. God did bring you into this world. And he didn't bring you into this world to leave you in the pit of despair if you're sad, right? He started a good work in you. He's not going to give up halfway. He's going to see it through to completion. He's not going to leave the story half finished. You might be in the middle of pain, but if you haven't yet experienced the purpose for your pain, then just hold on because it's coming. God doesn't waste any pain. He's going to allow you to minister out of that pain. In Revelation 12, it says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. A testimony is you looking back on what God did for you in your life and reminding yourself and telling others how you were and how you met Jesus and how you are now. You got to get more familiar with your own testimony. You got to get more comfortable sharing your own testimony because that's how you overcome if you can't share your testimony, you're not set up for success. And you're not going to be able to help other people in the critical moment. But man, your testimony is one of the most powerful weapons you can wield as a Christian. You know, we live in this world with all these like, people that profess themselves to, become, to be wise. It talks about this in Romans 1. Professing themselves to be wise. People that want to make clever arguments and, and debate in circles. Right? No one can argue with your testimony. You're the subject matter expert on your testimony. No one can argue with it. That's why it's so powerful. And man, a lot of you, you would say, my, my testimony is powerful because you remember how you were before you met Jesus. And you can see now how different you are. That's why it's so powerful to look back. We naturally replay those tragedies, but we've got to replay our victories more than the tragedies. You remember how good God's been to you? Do you remember what he's brought you through? He brought you to this point. Think about the victories you've experienced. And then when you do that, it gives you hope to do this. Then you look forward. You look up. You look back. You look forward. You look forward. Now, what's ahead? Depression causes you to obsess with sad things from your past. God ultimately wants to talk to you more about good things in your future. So much of scripture is God reminding you of his promises for your future. And sometimes you have to remind yourself what God has set before you. David in chapter 22, he's in the middle of sadness, but then he starts to look forward. He looks forward in verse 22. He says, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. In other words, I'm going to go to church and worship. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Right? Now he starts talking about this future, future stuff. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. Even further in the future, now verse 30, our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They're going to hear about everything he's done. See, if all you do is listen to yourself, you'll be depressed. You've got to talk to yourself. You've also got to talk to your, and that's what David is doing right here. He's prophesying to himself about himself. And that's what you've got to do sometimes. Sometimes you've got to prophesy to yourself about yourself. What's before you? Who needs to do that? Anybody need to do that right now? Like, I need to prophesy to myself 
about the victory that's ahead of me. I need a problem. Like, I'm sad now, but joy is coming. Some of you would say, I'm single now, but God's got the right person for me. I know it. I'm working a minimum wage job right now, but my hard work is going to pay off. I can't afford that house yet, but I'm going to have those keys, right? Uh, I know that I haven't experienced all the good things I want to, but I believe it's going to happen. We haven't been able to have kids yet, but sleepless nights, I prophesy, are in my future. My kids will grow up and they will know the Lord and they will serve him and they will talk about how good God was to me. I believe it. And watch this. He says, it hasn't happened yet, so I'm going to worship while I wait. I'm going to worship while I wait. Look, you cannot just skip past sadness. You don't want to suppress it, but there is a shortcut to joy if you'll worship while you wait. There's a shortcut to joy. You just start worshiping. This is so important for us to prophesy to ourselves, Because the devil whispers to us, you'll never be happy again. you got to remind yourself, no, this isn't it. Joy comes in the morning. A lot of people, they get trapped in sadness. They get caught in it, stuck in it. That can lead to depression. And sometimes, you know, the answer for Depression could be due to a chemical balance. Maybe medication is necessary. But a lot of times it's that we get stuck in unhealthy thought patterns and we are not able to break out of them. That's what can lead people to even the point of suicide, taking their own lives. Suicide, I heard one person say, is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. The devil tells us your problems are permanent. But we know that very few problems are permanent. But suicide is permanent. Suicide is taking your life at the point you've given up all hope that it'll ever get better, that there's no point worth living. Oftentimes people that kill themselves think that their loved ones will be better off without them. One of the questions I get asked is, uh, does committing suicide send a person to hell? And the answer is, no, not necessarily. Rejecting Jesus is what sends someone to hell. Rejecting Jesus, regardless of when you die or how you die, is what sends you to hell. Anyone who believes in Jesus will be saved, the Bible says. If you put your faith in Jesus, 1 John 5 says, you can know you will be saved. Romans 8.39 says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. That includes your own foolish choices. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, what that means is that the blood he shed on the cross sufficiently paid for your past, present, and future sins. The moment you trusted in him, all your sins were wiped away in God's sight, and he sees you as clean. So what that means is even if one of the last things you do in this life is a sin, that would not send you to hell. That sin's already been forgiven. James does say confess your sins one to another and you will be healed. But that talks about relational and intimacy healing between us and God when we confess our sins on an ongoing basis. It's just still important, but it doesn't affect our salvation. Our salvation has already been secured when we put our faith in Jesus. And so understand that suicide doesn't send a person to hell. Rejecting Jesus does. But suicide does put everyone you love through a living hell. There is probably nothing more destructive to a child than to lose a parent to suicide. And so it's never a good option. People choose it because they are depressed, they're sad, they think there's no other alternative, they think people will be better off without me. 
It's false. It is a lie. You do not have to kill yourself to kill your sadness. The devil wants to destroy you, and suicide is you cooperating with him. It's not a choice for a Christian. It's not even a choice. And I would even encourage you with this. Uh, 1-800-273-8255, suicide prevention hotline 24-7. You can call this. I'm not awake all night, but if you're, if you're at a point you just need someone to talk to, you can call somebody and get some help and tell them I'm not okay. Or someone you know that might have suicidal thoughts and you don't know what to do, call this number. And they'll help you. You can just Google it at any point, like, who do I call? And you can find this. Someone will be there to talk to you. So don't even consider that as an option. In Psalm 22, you see, it's not just a pattern to conquer sadness. I didn't have time to talk about all this. But it's also, the whole chapter, a prophetic word about Jesus. The whole chapter of Psalm 22 is a prophecy fulfilled by Jesus. So go home after this is your follow-up assignment. Read Psalm 22 through the lens of Jesus on the cross. In fact, that is what Jesus is quoting on the cross. He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1, when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The whole chapter is about him. People mocking him. If you're really the son of God, let him save you. People gambling for his clothes. That happens in Psalm 22. And look at what happens in Psalm 22. A prophetic word about the coming days, the victory that will be experienced. Future generations will know you. And bless your name. And that's exactly what we're living in today. We're those future generations who were not yet born when David prophesied about Jesus and the victory he would achieve. We're the future generation of those not yet born who today know the goodness of the Lord and how good he's been to those who came before us. It reminds us he's going to be good to us as well. Jesus. It's because of Jesus. He went through terrible suffering and sadness so that we could have everlasting joy Through faith in Jesus, we can share in his victory. Without faith in Jesus, we cannot be victorious. With Jesus, we can have everlasting joy. Without Jesus, no joy. So if there's anyone here, you're depressed and you're sad and you have not put your faith in Jesus, you're never going to be able to get out of that sadness without Jesus. It'll never happen. Millions, billions of people have tried. It's impossible. True joy is only found in Jesus. It says in 1 Peter 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. So I said, without Jesus, it's impossible to find true joy. But with Jesus, we are born again into a living hope. It is a hope that is present for every type of trial. It is a hope that cannot be killed. 
It is everlasting. People in your life might die. Dreams might die. But our hope in Jesus cannot die. It's a living hope. The world you live in is hard and it can be really sad. But as a Christian, this passage reminds you that this world is not your home. Heaven is your home. You could lose everything in this life. But this passage says there is an inheritance for you that cannot perish, spoil, or fade that is kept secure in heaven with your name on it. And so Jesus says, hold on, you might go through some hard times right now, but I'm going to set all things right in the end. You win in the end. That's why as Christians we can have joy even in our sadness, and sadness never causes us to lose hope. Because we know Jesus. I believe what he says in Psalm 27. David said this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is a guy who went through some ups and downs. He definitely went through some ups and downs. Some good times, it's good to be king. And some bad times, some really bad times. And yet he knew, I am confident I will see the goodness of the Lord. I don't care how bad it gets right now, but I know God I know God is going to come through for me. I will see the goodness of the Lord again in the land of the living. This is the hope that we have as well through Jesus. Do you believe that? Do you receive that, church? Would you bow your heads with me for a moment now? Let's just take a moment to pray. If you're here and you'd say, I am sad. I have been struggling with depression. I've been struggling with suicidal thoughts and hopeless thoughts. I've been filled with sorrow. I've had grief. It's come back again and again. Uh, Maybe it's something that you've just been dealing with right now recently over something that happened a long time ago. Whatever it is, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And I pray right now that God would be close to every single person who has sadness in their hearts tonight. Every person who's discouraged or feels hopeless or whose spirits are crushed. God, would you comfort them and drive sadness out from their hearts? Would you speak truth through the lies of the enemy in a way that shines light in dark places and brings hope to those who are hopeless, Lord. Would you supernaturally fill our hearts up with peace? There is so much brokenness in this world. There's so many reasons to be sad. But Lord, we ask that you would give us your joy tonight, a joy that makes us to stand apart from the world, that people would look at us and say, how are you joyful with everything that's going on in this world? How are you joyful with what you're going through? And we'd be able to tell them about Jesus and the living hope that we have, God. Let us be a joyful people. Lord, thank you for comforting those who are sad in Jesus' name. With your head still bowed, if you're here and you say, I need to accept Jesus, You know, you talked about being far from God. You said, I know I really am far from God because I've never accepted Jesus Christ. If you have that realization right now, it's the Holy Spirit of God who is pulling on your heart and inviting you to open the door to let Jesus into your life. And the question is, will you let him in or will you reject Jesus? This is your opportunity to accept him. If you're ready to do that right now, I just want to lead you in a prayer And you can just pray this with me to express what's in your heart. But pray with me now and say, God, I need you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven. And I believe he rose again so I could have eternal life. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior right now. I want to follow him from this day forward. Thank you, Jesus, for leading me. Thank you for loving me. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.